Hey, Action Alerts Plus members and other folks tuning into the AAP podcast. Thanks for joining us once again as we look to dig deep into what's going on in the markets and perhaps touch on some thoughts about the economy, the stock market, and individual stocks. I'm Chris Versace, the lead portfolio manager for the Action Alerts Plus portfolio at The Street. And joining me yet again, Todd Campbell, the brains, the brawn behind The Street's Street Smart product. Todd, how are you? Hey, Chris, how you doing today? I, I'm pleased to be back here yet again. To I, I know, I know. And, and I promise to take it easy on you, Todd. You were saying you haven't been sleeping well. You're a little haggard. You know, don't worry. Kid gloves. Well, you know, that State of the Union speech last night, I was up late watching. <laughs> <laughs> now, Todd, I, I know that you probably watched it. It's not like you were watching, you know, uh, reruns of the Cosby show or something like that. But I also know that, like me, in addition to watching it, you're probably really going back and perusing the transcripts, transcript, excuse me, uh, really trying to understand what not only what was said, but more importantly, what was not said, or to say it a different way, what people were fearing to hear about in some cases, but didn't really hear anything. Um, you know, I could I could certainly put myself in that camp. You know, given the debt ceiling, I was waiting to see what um, Biden was going to say about defense spending. He really didn't touch on that too much, other than saying that. You know, we're going to continue to update the military. We will be prepared. We will stop aggression. Um, you know, so I, I tend to think, I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to wax a little too political here, but um, boy, that State of the Union sure is a uh, wonderful commercial. It, there really wasn't anything that was groundbreaking from what I from what I could see. I mean, for, you know, forget this, by the way, we don't even need transcripts. Right? We'll get to this later, but we don't even need to. We'll just ask, ask chat GPT from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll get to that later, right? We don't even need to watch or anything else. But, you know, I didn't I didn't see anything too groundbreaking in there. I didn't see anything surprising. There was nothing in there. Maybe, oh, my God, that's definitely going to move stocks. Um, I, like you said, it was more a rehashing of the things that they have already put in place, which is good news. I mean, you've got plenty of stocks that benefit from from the programs um, like the infrastructure bill mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the AAP portfolio and and the like that, that can benefit from this stuff. So, I mean, it's good to hear him kind of pounding on the table and supporting the thesis behind those, right? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, you know, he came out and he said something like they've got uh, some ridiculous number of infrastructure projects underway. Uh, obviously, um, that's good. It builds on what you know a number of companies have said recently, just even outside the AAP portfolio, like Caterpillar or Jacob Solutions earlier this week. I mean, that company in particular, Todd, said they see four, at least four solid years of projects. You know, there's going to be a lot of operating leverage there. I, I think the one thing on the infrastructure side that was interesting was Biden saying that he's going to institute Buy America in that. So, you know, whether it's cabling or concrete aggregates, you know, whatever it is, he, he's really going to stick to that. I, I, you know, from our perspective in the portfolio, uh, great, because we're already positioned for that with Vulcan materials. Yeah. And it would make you think that the more, the more um, pure play you get for the domestic companies, theoretically, the better off you'll be. 
right? You know, I mean, you, you know, the, the more that they're targeting the U.S. rather than saying being global companies. Oh, totally agree. In fact, in my uh, my non AAP life, we actually developed an index called Rebuilding America, where the litmus test was uh, companies that were poised to benefit from infrastructure spending had to derive at least fifty percent of their revenue from the U.S. Because you're right, you really want to capture those with the greatest exposure to those spending dollars, one hundred percent. And 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 again. You know, just you, you look at the portfolio, you look at United Rentals, you look at uh, Vulcan Materials, all U.S. based. Yeah. And then the other thing that I thought was good, too, and and also speaks to, you know, some things we were talking about a couple of weeks ago on the show. Um, chips, 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 chips. And we're not talking about <laughs> Frito-Lay. Well, yeah, just whatever you do, please don't use a lazy sequitur that's like, Chris, speaking of chips, PepsiCo reports tomorrow. Please don't do that, okay? Please. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, to me, the whole Chips Act is great. Um, you know, and it, it's one that I've been kind of keeping my eyes and ears on because it, to me, it's it's just a question of we're seeing capital spending by the foundries and other companies in the near term, you know, slide. When does the CHIPS Act kicked in? And then somewhere in between there, right? When do we see the stocks bottom out either on an absolute basis or on a valuation basis, you know, for semiconductor capital equipment? That's that's really what I'm watching. Do, do you, Todd, have a particular favorite semi-cap name? Um, I always tend to like ASML, um, you know, in lithography in the, in the um, equipment space, but I was watching you know, KLA 10 core, I was watching LAM research, I was watching applied materials uh, in the smaller spaces, looking at AEHR as an equipment provider to the automotive for equipment, you know, for testing for silicon carbide chips. Um, we talked about, you know, Wolf you're back at your, wait, sis, you're back on that wolf, aren't you? Yeah, I know. Right. And um, I think that, you know, I, I think that the big question that I have with all of those, and this is what you were just alluding to is, was when's the sweet spot going to be where you don't have to worry about the economy contracting? Like, I mean, if auto sales fall, <laughs> I mean, right now, obviously, auto chip demand is good because they're still working through all that big backlog, et cetera, right. et cetera. And they're holding up pretty well because jobs are still pretty good and wages are growing uh, faster than inflation again. So, OK, that's that's good. But I mean, if we do roll over and do get the recession um, that you know, the, the inverted yield curve is is calling for, then, you know, auto sales are going to slow. So and how does that impact? How is it going to impact some of these things? So I think, like you said, kind of trying to find that sweet spot of, OK, well, we've got, you know, economic risk that could you know weigh down demand. But we also have these other more structural things that could prop up um, um, revenue at some of these plays. So it's interesting that you you talk about auto and chips, right? You know, on, on the one hand, there is that shortage, but there's a couple other things that I've been reading about over the last, you know, couple months, you know, like, for example, um, the average age of a car on the U.S. roads is now over 12 years, right? So that tells me that at some point, you know, in the next 12, maybe 24 months, depending on what happens with the economy and auto loan rates, that, you know, we will have a pretty strong replacement cycle because that 12 years is really the upper end of the range, right? Yeah, I mean, well, the cars are so expensive, right, Chris? So it's, it's almost oh, yeah. you have to finance them now for seven years, <laughs> where before maybe it was three years. Um, they certainly do last longer. I mean, it's not uncommon to see cars with 
150,000 miles selling yeah. for yeah. 10 to $20,000, which would have been unheard of, you know, even 10 years ago. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but, but again, again, past a certain point, I, I think we will see a replacement cycle start to pick up. But the other thing as it relates to chips, though, is if you really look over the last, you know, anywhere between the last 10 and 20 years, there's been almost a uh, positive slope line, almost like a 30 degree line in terms of uh, semiconductor content per car. And, and most people don't realize how many chips are in the car. And, and when you look at the roadmap, for cars, there's a lot more chips that are coming. So I think, you know, if, if someone were to ask me, what would what companies might you be looking at? You know, one of the ones would be NXP Semiconductor because they derive they they derive a lot of revenue out of that marketplace. Yes, they are in some other markets too, but that's a big market for them. So, well, one of the other interesting takeaways I had from you know, you think just going back to the Biden speech and thinking about this is that you have these programs that are really starting to ramp up you know, mm -hmm. here, right? And that is providing a little bit of support, I suppose, to the soft landing and gives the Fed a little bit more room to go higher for longer, right? Because, you know, you got this money coming in from fiscal spending, mm -hmm. you know, and that's going to offset a little bit uh, maybe of, of the brake pedal that's being applied by, by the Fed, no? Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think that's right. But it, it, again, it, it's kind of a question of when are all these things coming on stream? Maybe it argues, Todd, that you know if there is a recession, that it won't be that long, that deep, because as we go through the year, all these things will be kicking in, right? The Chips Act is a little more second half of the year. You know, the, we're already starting to see the ramp in the Biden infrastructure laws. So I, I, I think we're kind of looking at it pretty similarly. Either way, it doesn't look like we'll have a dramatic, you know, halt to the economy, if in part because of some of these programs. Now, Chris, I know you were just riveted this week by Powell too, right? So, <laughs> what? so we should Who's spend Todd, some time Todd, talking who is about who is hosting the chairman and what he had to say? Who is hosting this conversation, Todd? I know, right? <laughs> I'm just eager to hear what you have to say. I, 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 I know. Entertaining I know. conversation. I, I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, you're, geez, he's having a lot of fun there. On, on uh, you're you're hearkening back to our uh, time when we did a few Twitter Spaces, is what you're doing. By the way, kudos earlier uh, this week when you were on. That was fantastic. Yeah, listeners, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, Bruce Kamek and I were on, and you can view that on Twitter, just either by going to at EB Capital or going to the Streets homepage, um, and you'll be able to see it. I also, if you're a Smarts member, I also, uh, two, I think it was two days ago, used that as our topic for the day. So you can listen in there, but it's an hour and 20 minutes, Chris. I'm sure you fell asleep five times. Um, but it's only only if you fell asleep when I was on the week before for 90 minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have. Yeah. You're 10 minutes longer. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it's long. It's great, though, because and, you, you know, listeners, don't be daunted. You can listen at one and a half time speed. We won't. True. <laughs> true. We won't, we won't mind. Um, but, you know, we talked a lot about markets. We talked a lot about technical analysis and the like. So thanks for that. Thanks for that shout out. I mean, I no, no, no. I mean, there's a, I mean, let, let's just pause for a second. You know, there's a lot of great stuff going on over at, you know, the street, both the free site and the, the, the uh, premium products like AAP, uh, smarts and, and real money. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good people, a lot of great brain power in there. 
So I, I would encourage you to check it out if you haven't already, listeners. Um, okay, so Powell, you were asking me about. I, I, I have to say that I really enjoyed watching Powell at the Economic Club of Washington uh, the other day. And I say that because he was probably the loosest I've ever seen him. Oh my God. Right? And it was great. It was like, he has a sense of humor. Right. <laughs> you know, it's he's a regular guy. I didn't know he liked to play guitar and ride his bicycle, but this is great stuff. So so he puts his pants on one leg at a time. He looks at surprisingly a lot of the data that we do. Um, he did say that they take a look at a special book that's prepared by the Fed's analysts. I believe he called it the Teal book, not the beige book, the Teal book. Um, so that was actually kind of interesting. But I think that uh, what I really wanted to hear was. Um, well, let, let, let me set the stage. During the post-monetary policy presser, what caught my ear was, this is probably about 40 minutes in, uh, he said something along the lines of, da-da-da-da-da, yeah, we see a couple of rate hikes ahead. So a couple to me is like two, maybe three, but really two. And then we got that January employment report, which, you know, again, wages continue to remain elevated, that job creation number was off the charts, and the unemployment rate actually ticked lower, even though it was thought it was going to go higher. So, you know, I really wanted to hear what he had to say about that. And surprisingly, he said, well, yeah, that's kind of what we've been talking about. You know, no real surprise. You know, this is this speaks to what I was trying to get at earlier in the week um, when he was at the Fed monetary policy presser. So, um, without a doubt, rates are going to go higher. I think, you know, they will remain data dependent blah, blah, blah. But I think the expectation is not two, Todd. Could be two to three. Uh, we'll have to see. Um, but to me, the one thing that really jumped out, if I had to say, ah, ah, uh, it would be during the conversation when he was talking about the Fed's 2% inflation target and you know getting there over time. And, and the host did a very good job of kind of pushing Powell to explain that a little bit. And Powell's like, look, you take a look at where the PCE is, that's the uh, Personal Consumption Expenditure Index on a year-over-year -year basis. Still, you know, I think he said something like 5%, 4.4% core. He doesn't see it getting to their target until sometime in 2024, okay? So to the extent the economy is running hotter, a couple more rate hikes, to the extent that, you know, it takes longer to get down, you know, they're, they're going to remain steady until, you know, sometime in 2024. Does that, how does that jive with what you're thinking? And, and the reason I asked that is right before we jumped on, Todd, I noticed that uh, Fed Governor Chris Walker is out talking about, you know what, folks, you could see earnings, sorry, not earnings, <laughs> interest rates going even higher than you think they have to. You know, Okay, so they're trying to do a little bit of the heavy lifting that Powell didn't do last week, right? I mean, I, I think the thing that I wanted to see this week, I wanted to see whether or not Powell's tone was different. Because the more, market reacted more so hawkish. powerfully. More hawkish, right? Yes. The yeah. market reacted, but bonds and stocks uh, reacted so powerfully last Wednesday. Normally, after the, the Fed makes its announcements, you get these crazy whipsaw action up and down. And you really didn't see that. I mean, not nearly to the extent. What was interesting this week when Powell spoke is that you did see that kind of whipsaw crazy action yeah. um, um, following his his. Well, I, uh, his I, speech. I, I, I think that's understandable, though, because, you know, coming into last week's Fed monetary meeting, 
um, the data was like moving in the right direction for the most part. And I think that employment report is really what surprised a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I, I did not hear, I did not come away from that thinking that his tone had changed. No, um, I don't think so either. I thought he actually was, I'm not going to call him dovish. I would just say neutral, like you said, easy, didn't seem stressed, didn't seem... No, no, no. He's, I, I agree with you. I, I, was, I too was expecting something more hawkish, but I wouldn't say it would dovish. If anything, you know, he's... What impressed me most about Powell, I think, early on when he came onto the scene was he was like, look, we know what's going on. We got it. And... His tone is similar to that as well. And he doesn't, he's like, look, we're going to do the job. Whatever it takes, we are going to do. Um, and I, I think that, I think the danger for the market is that they might be overreading that dovishness, or at least that perceived dovishness. Well, in, in a lot has changed in the last couple of days. You know, I just went back and looked at the CME FedWatch tool to get a gauge for what people are thinking will happen with rates. And previously, people were thinking, okay, well, we could stop raising rates in, you know, February. Then they were like, well, no, February and March. And now looking at June, it looks like we could get even more. So I think it's a 36% chance now, uh, up from 2% a week ago, that we could be at five and a quarter to five and a half yeah. in June. Um, so to your point, two is not two anymore. A couple <laughs> has become a few. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I, I don't know if you're looking at the CMA FedWatch tool this minute, Todd, but I am. Um, do me a favor, take a look, because the last I saw, and this is, uh, to be honest, over a week ago now, um, they were still calling for a cut very late in 2023. Has that been pushed off altogether now? Let me take a look here. I'll look at the December. Yeah, that's the one. And December, I show twenty three percent at four fifty to four seventy five. Yeah, that's down from thirty two percent a month ago. So theoretically, that would reflect, you know, because we would have backed off some of those the cut the the hike that we would have seen in March, and then we're at thirty six percent say four seventy five to five, and twenty five percent say five to five and a quarter. So, so if based on what you just said about June, it sounds like there's still some room for some very late in the year cut. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, there's. I think they still are, um, but it's definitely less of a chance than they were forecasting before, um, because now you're just looking at a 25% chance of being 5%, and that's up from 4% um, probability, you know, a month ago. Well, so, I will. So I think that that changes changes things a little bit because you've seen now bonds back back off and yields started to climb again. And of course, you know, higher yields is not good for stock valuations. Same thing stock valuations are something that really a concern to me right now, more so than um, any particular earnings report. I, you know, I'm really um, well, that's I'm having a hard time finding stocks that I want to buy at, at right now. Well, before we go there, let me just just finish up on Fed and uh, Fed funds rate and Powell. Um, to some extent, you know, uh, we're going to have a Groundhog Day like event or Groundhog Day like events next week. And I say that because we get the CPI and PPI reports for January. So we'll be, you know, going through this whole cycle all over again. Um, 
But as far as the market goes, it is kind of interesting. You know, back in, um, I don't know, sometime in like the middle of the second half of last year, I started talking about how 2023 EPS expectations for the S&P 500 were too robust, need to come down, and they have. You and I talked about that, I think, last week or the week before. They have come down. But the other thing, and I, I suspect this is where you're going, Todd, is you know if you look at the landscape where you know S and P 500 earnings, depending on who you're talking to for 2023, you know $200 a share up to 215, maybe 220 if we're lucky, um, and then you go back in time to when the Fed funds rate was as high as it is or close to as high as it is, right? You look at um, alternatives that are out there. It really begs the question. What should the PE multiple be for the market? I think that's a very good question. And, you know, one of the things that Doug Cass has been talking, the, the drum he's been beating, uh, you know, a lot in his diary um, is, hey, you know, the S&P 500's PE ratio is all the way back to where it was when the bear market began. You know, we're talking about, depending on, again, what analyst estimate you use. I mean, if you use fact sets data, they're looking at 225, right? You look at JP Morgan's, they're thinking 205 for earnings. Yeah, yeah. Right. So then you think about, well, what kind of a multiple do we want to put on that? You know, Leon Cooperman um, spoke um, at an event that, that Doug hosted not that long ago, and he brought with him a table that suggested that, you know, with inflation the way it is right now, you know, the multiple should be around 15 and a half, 15.4, I think, for the SP 500. Well, if you throw a 15 multiple, on you know 200 205 um you're talking a pretty pretty uh, scary number um compared to where we are now at you know 4100 well i uh i have this handy dandy table that i don't really share with many people i might i might break that rule todd and share it with you but it's got s p uh Data dating all the way back to 1990. So I've got the S&P 500, you know, closing price, high, low, EPS. Um, you know, I've got the EPS growth rates. I got the FUD funds rate for each year. I got the GDP growth. And, you know, when I see that, what you're talking about, I uh, and I wrote a piece about this to AAP members a while ago, um, the time frame that I think that's most close to what we're talking about is 2005, 2006. And in that time, the S&P 500, you know, topped out just over 17 times and it bottomed out, you know, call it between the two years of 05 and 06, you know, just over 15 times. So I, I don't think you're, you're far off in your math. To me, the wild card is what that EPS number is, you know, because, 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 because five to 10, you know, like, let me, let me say this right. Five to ten dollars a share in earnings can make a big difference. Yeah, very much. So. Right now, the, we're seeing all of the estimates fall, right? Because yep. obviously, companies aren't making as much money as they were a year ago, um, and analysts are still modeling for a crazy reacceleration year-over-year earnings growth for the back half of the year. I think. Yeah, but but you know what though? I I I, I don't mean to cut you off. I have studied these um, patterns. And we, we're exactly where we are. We start off every year like this. 
right? There's always a lot of expectation for the back half of the year. And then there's some reasons for that. Government spending, use it or lose it, the holiday season, you know, some other stuff. So to me, the, the thing to watch now is going to be what, what are the expectations for the back half of the year? Are they moving up or are they moving down? Exactly. I mean, I, I just it's hard to think that you would need a lot of things to go right for the 10.7% year-over-year growth they're expecting in the fourth quarter to happen. I, I agree. But 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 again, this is always what happens, right? Yeah. We, we we start off and, and we pin things out there. And, and, and if you think of the market narrative right now, or one of the market narratives, sorry, um, hey, there may not be a recession. If it is, it's very light. And, you know, China's coming back, you know, that's going to help buoy us. I mean, e- even today, as we're taping this, Fitch now sees a uh, GDP of 5% in 2023 in China, up from 4.1. And, and that's not breaking new ground. They're joining the crowd. So there's a lot of expectation on the back half of the year. And what, you know, I hate to be that guy, but when you see that, more often than not, there's going to be some hiccup, right? So like case in point, um, you know, what was it? November, December, we saw a lot of companies that were kind of tied into China really explode because of the expected reopening, right? And what are we hearing? Oh, it's happening, just not as fast as we thought. You know, COVID is still a factor. So I I, I always get a little hesitant when everything is placed, when all the eggs, sorry, are kind of in that basket towards the end of the year. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. I mean, if you look at where, you know, if you look at where we were on a P ratio for the S&P in September, so last fall, we got down to 15. Well, that's that's pretty reasonable. You know, and, and if you go back over time, a 15 PE usually precedes some pretty darn good returns one year, three year, and five years later. It's one three year returns off of a 15 uh, PE or double digits historically. But right. we now climb back up to 18, 19. And well, when you're, hey, when you're hey. at 18, the forward return is zero. Okay, so hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's let's just parse this for the listener a little bit, okay? Because I want to make sure I I understand because you're you're so when you're saying that we were 18 times back in September, are you we're using 15, 15.2 on forward earnings? Okay, 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 okay. This is the this, so this is where I'm going, okay? Yeah. So when you said 18 times, you were using 2022 numbers? No, we're we're at 18 right now. On 2023 numbers. On 23 numbers. Okay. So always looking. I like to look at forward numbers. I think I think that's more interesting to compare forward. Well, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Really. Um, but on forward numbers, we're at 18 right now. Depending on who's again whose estimate you use. Right. You know, 18 to 19, we'll call it right. And when you're at 18 to 19, the one year subsequent one year returns are flat historically. Do you know now, what last fall we were at 15s and historically you get double digit returns at the one year and the three year mark. And the point that I'm trying to make is that we brought forward. I think you were this is something you were alluding to. We it, we may very well have brought forward a lot of that one year enthusiasm off the of September. And now where we are now at an 18 or 19, you know, it's going to require some heavy lifting to get, you know, additional gains on top of what we've already seen. Well, yeah, to me, the risk is everything has to go right for that to happen, right? Um, the other thing I will say, and again, I'm doing this because I have my handy changey, you know, cheat sheet here. Todd, what do you think the average 
uh, S&P 500 peak PE was between 2000 and 2022? Any guesses? 17. 19, 19.4. Okay. Hang on, though. If we strip out uh, 2020, where it peaked at 27 times, remember, you know what happened in 2020, right? Yep. Right? If we strip it out, the peak is 19. So if you're saying we're 18, 19, that's, we are bumping up against that high PE on average. Yeah. And I think that there's two takeaways for listeners who are trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I use what they're saying to help me with my portfolio? And I think that there's two takeaways. One, what we're saying is that the market, right, as dictated by the S&P 500, which is 500 large cap companies. Five, um, five, 505, have, 505 technically. Right, has pulled forward maybe some returns. But if you look on an individual stock basis, I mean, I was just looking before we, we started recording, Chris, and I have a universe of about 1,600 institutional quality stocks that I follow. About half of them are trading on the lower half of their five-year PE range. So on an individual stock basis, there could be more bargains than the S&P is telling us that there are. So, so the takeaway from investors might be that stock picking wins in 2023. I think that's right. I mean, one of the things that I tr strive for is to identify companies that are going to grow their earnings faster than the S&P 500. And, and because then they, in, in theory, should receive a uh, premium valuation. Uh, there are other factors that have to go into it. And, and you know, as I wrote with AAP members last week, uh, my favorite number is three. Why three? Because I like to triangulate around price, not only price targets to the upside, but triangulate what my potential downside is. And then by comparing the two of them, I can figure out what's my, you know, risk reward trade-off, i.e., where do I want to be buying these things? So my risk is lower and my upside is far higher. So, but um, now this is fascinating, Todd. So the you did say that fact sets got 225, right? That's up from 219.79. That's uh, you know like five and a half bucks. That's like two percent, two and a half half percent EPS growth. Yeah, they're looking for three percent. I think it is. Um... And it's all back half. <laughs> well, and the back half's having to do a heavier, even heavier lifting, right, Chris? Because the results that we just got from Q4 are causing Q1 and Q2 to fall. So the yeah. expectations for Q2. So, so if you look at December 31st, the estimate for 2023 was 230. So yeah. we've now fallen to 225. Right. Now, directionally, right. that's not what we want to see. Uh, especially when we're already talking about a P ratio in the market of 18 to 19. Yeah, so I, I'm just looking at the quarterly spread. The yeah, the quarterly spread here, and the expectation so far is that we're going to bottom, you know, in the first quarter, 52.43, and then start climbing, uh, at least sequentially. Still down year over year. Uh, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, oh, oh. oh. oh Todd, you didn't tell me you oh. had the research staff with you. Yeah, my, my dog, somebody, somebody's got my dog off. Oh, that's all right. I got, as you know, I got three dogs. So let me, um, let me ask you one or two other questions, Todd. So you're not really eyeing the market per se. You're looking, sounds like you're doing a little homework on some of the chip stocks. I am as well. Um, what did you think, just getting back to Powell, I, I wanted to uh, mention this. And we, we didn't cover it. Um, he talked about 
uh, suggesting that they quadruple the tax on stock on stock buybacks. Now, I think that's dead on arrival. I don't think that's going to happen. What do you think? I think I agree with you, and I suppose that the downside there would be that again, um, what would that do if if something like that did happen? I mean, it creates obviously some risk and some uncertainty, right? But let's say if they did do something like that, what would the impact then be on earnings, right? I mean, you have to start modeling for that kind of stuff and say, okay, well, you know, how much of earnings have been supported by robust buyback activity? In yeah. January, we had the most buyback activity in well, at least a year. I don't. Maybe longer. I, I can't remember if it was bespoke. Somewhere else I saw uh, a chart that came out and showed that the buybacks in January were just tremendous by these companies. So, I mean, that's definitely helping earnings. And if you remove that, then, well, you know, another pressure. Um, on well, it's, a, you know, it, it's interesting you say that because I, I was talking with another AAP contributor and what we had concluded is there were some companies that missed earnings and guided weaker, but their stocks moved higher. And what they had in common was uh, one of the following announcements. They start, they initiated a dividend, they raised a dividend, or they raised the buyback. And that seemed to be the buoy, right, to help keep some of these stocks moving. And I, I was a little surprised at that, um, but it also explains why the reaction has been arguably a little better than feared. Well, people definitely want the dividends now because, you know, obviously uh, cash is more valuable today than it is in the future because of what's happened with rates. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, why wouldn't you want to, you know, give us a slightly higher valuation if, if you're going to get a slightly bigger dividend today uh, versus having to wait until, you know, 2025 for the money? Agreed. Agreed. All right, Todd. Uh, so next week, we've got a rash of economic data, CPI, PPI industrial production, housing starts, any any of that, you know, which one will you be focused in on most? Um, I'm not, you know, I don't know yet, Chris. I don't know. I mean, I want to see how this, this week finishes up for the market um, and see whether or not there's still some animal spirits that are, are, that are left out there or we're starting to roll over. Because again, you know, I, my my wondering is kind of like the question we had a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about, okay, well, what earnings do I want to be watching? It's not necessarily that I'm watching any particular economic reports, more that I want to see how people react to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very curious to see how the reaction is to those reports. I mean, how about yourself? Uh, to me, it's going to be, you know, everybody's going to think I'm going to say the PPI, but I'm going to say, I want to watch the PPI because that's a little bit of a lead in for the CPI. So if we're seeing greater progress there, that would be encouraging. I uh, have to dig into the data, you know, to really see um, if it's more on the services side, which is what Powell claims the Fed will continue to watch. Um, now, Todd, you, you teased something earlier. Um, when is uh, Chat GBT going to start writing Street Smarts? I know, right? <laughs> Hopefully, we have uh, we have careers for a little bit longer. I mean, I've got gray hair, so I need I don't need to make it too many more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, stop it. Stop it. But, uh, the, but yeah, um, I mean, I, th I think that that's some pretty crazy news that we had, we've obviously seen what these things can do now. I mean, if, if listeners, if you're not familiar, ChatGPT is it's it's an AI that allows you to make a specific request and it will give you a response that's got a lot of context to it. I, um, I it's, one of my neighbors said um, through their ChatGPT account, um, can you write a um, what was it? It was a letter. It was like an employment. It was like a letter requesting employment. And it did. And I was like, wow, that's pretty good. 
yeah, and and you can there's there's tons of use cases like that. I mean, I was just playing around and I and I said, write me. This is kind of interesting. I said, write me a Twitter thread that explains how social security works. You know, I mean, there's just, and it provides all of this, this, you know, context to, okay, this is how you use it. And you can tell it to do it simply. You can tell it basically to do it as if I'm two years old. You can do it. I mean, there's, it's very interesting. I question, there's a part of me, and I know this is where you're going because we had both Microsoft and Google out um, pitching their own AI initiatives Correct. this week in response to that. Um, there's a part of me that wonders what the use case will be for the average person. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm know, not I'm still going to ask my virtual assistant what the weather is. I don't need a lot of context for something like that. Oh, I, I'm glad glad to see you still like the NSA and everybody else listening to you, Todd. Congratulations. <laughs> the um, I got another eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, so I. To me, I, I think understanding the use case is always interesting, and I, I agree with you to some extent because I, you know, I can't tell you how many iterations of technology that I've, I've heard about companies championing, and it just takes far longer for the average use case to emerge. Um, you know, I, I think the most recent one, uh, two actually, uh, one is uh, the metaverse, right, which has obviously been pushed back, and then the other one is these VR uh, goggles, which, you know, even Apple is not exactly leading with its most expensive model. It's gonna have to continue to develop its product over time. I, I do expect them to have a first salvo, but even there, like what's the price point? What's the use case? How, how robust is the app library? You know, all these things to, to generate the use case. The other thing I'm watching though is it's no secret that uh, Google has, you know, 92 to 95% market share for search engines, depending on the source you want to quote. Um, so to me, the opportunity here is for Microsoft to meld this technology into Bing and get off the 3% market share that they have. That could be a real problem for Google. Yeah. And they, you know, Google, I want to say last quarter was like 42 billion in search revenue that they generated. Uh, well, let's put it this way. It's the biggest revenue generator they have. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, so forty-two of seventy or whatever it was, and um, and you know that's that's a ton of money that theoretically is at risk. The question is how at risk is it? Now Microsoft has is you know invested in uh, ChatGPT. They are incorporating it into the Bing search algorithm, if you will, and I think that they actually are launching this week. Uh, kind of like a beta, like you can only make a couple requests at a time type of thing um, for their Edge browser. Um, and one of the use cases that they had talked about is, well, you can say, plan me a trip to Mexico. And then you can follow that up with a question like, how much is this going to cost me? So it's, it's maybe simplifying um, some common stuff that most of us do. Um, and that, that I could see as being, you know, valuable, uh, and potentially a threat. I mean, when it comes to Google search, if I'm searching for something, I often will hit on 10 or 12 pages because I'll search one thing and then I'll get a response. That's obviously going to show me ads. And then I'm going to say, well, that wasn't quite what I was looking for. I'm going to type something else into my search and I'm going to get another page. And then I'm going to get another page and get another page. Each one of those pages is monetizable by 
by Google, right? So if they eliminate that, if I can shrink my time to be able to get the answer that I want and my life gets easier, um, why wouldn't I move some of my search activity over to something like that AI product? The question that I also have though is why would I move all of it over? Because now I'm pretty embedded in the Google ecosystem, right? Because it's got my passwords. I'm using it to generate my passwords. It's, you know, there's, there's so many things now that I'm kind of tied into. So will I give all that up that easily? Maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah, so I <laughs> I use Google all the time, but I am not quite as trusting uh, Google when it comes to you. I'm not a fan of anybody who gives me ads in my email, just for what it's worth. But that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the way I, I think about it, though, is so in pretty short order, we had announcements from Microsoft and Google. Baidu came out with something similar. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure Meta is working on it and, and there's others. So what, what I really wonder is, is this like a, uh, you know, arms race that cancels each other out, right? Everybody's making these and at the margin, you know, there might be some shifting in market share for search, but nothing demonstrative. That's, that's kind of what I'm wondering. I, th I think it's big enough where it could, it, it could be billions of dollars shifting from one player to another player. I mean, Google shares sold off, Microsoft's rallied, right? But Microsoft mm -hmm. is a huge company already. Right. Like you said, they have very limited market share in search. I think obviously the risk is to Google because we don't know to what extent people are going to um, use these news tools and what that will mean. Well, um, so, so maybe Google go, goes on sale. I mean, but is this just like Clubhouse? where everybody rushes to Clubhouse, but then they realize, oh, I can just be on Twitter spaces? Yeah, I, that's a great point. Well, I, I will say this, that as we're taping this, Google showcased uh, its AI called Bard, and um, the shares are down like 8%. Having said that, though, they've rallied back pretty hard. So it, it is kind of interesting. I, I suspect that there's going to be a lot of uh, shifting expectations over time with this. But what we'll see. Yeah, and by the way, Bard, <laughs> really? That's, that's uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But, you know, I mean, it's not like Bing was any better as a browser. <laughs> Come on. You know, I, or Yahoo. I think, you know what it is? It, it's kind of interesting because, you know, we're, I guess, you know, for, uh, for argument's sake, 20 years into the internet age. And like the naming convention is has been increasingly tied to what URL can I get? Mm. And it's harder and harder. Now, maybe they paid up for Bard. I, I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I agree with you. That's, you know, hey, Bard. No, I know. I, uh, I just don't. I don't, I don't love it. Uh, maybe some guy named Brad accidentally misspelled his name. Got that, you know? No, oh, he fat fingered just... it. He fat fingered <laughs> yeah, the pen. Yeah. Now, yeah. now he's living large in, you know, Jamaica or something. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't know. All right. All right, Todd. Well, hey, listen. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, a lot to cover, and I value your insights. I know the listeners do too. Um, what's uh, before I let you go? What's what's next on Street Smarts? All right, so today we're actually going to have, um, we're going to talk about this valuation issue, the market's valuation. Right? We've got a piece ro rolling out at 4 p.m. Um, are stocks too pricey? 
And we're going to go through all those tables and, and the data showing some historical numbers on P and how returns have been after different P, you know, we've hit different PA ratios and just sort of putting a little bit more, I guess, uh, meat on the bones of the conversation we had today. So, you know, listeners, um, go, going over smarts, uh, the street smarts and, and check it out. Yes. And by all means, go check out Real Money. Go check out Real Money Pro. And of course, head on over to AAP where you can get my latest thoughts on the market and the portfolio as well. We will catch you next time, listeners.